welcome to this week's edition of Who Cares What's the Point, the podcast about the mind for people who think. This week we are looking at recycling behaviour. In particular, I'm speaking with Associate Professor Rumi Trudell, who is based at Boston University's Questrom School of Business. Now, Remy's research focuses upon all sorts of aspects of consumer well-being in three main areas, sustainability, health and diet, and personal finance. And in this week's show, we're looking particularly around sustainability and his ideas around how people make the decision to either trash or put something in the rubbish compared to their decision as to how to recycle that object and how people are attached or identified with those products or brands influences those decisions. Have a listen to this conversation between myself and Remy and make up your own mind. Thank you very much for joining us today, Remy. Um, Maybe we'll start off as I do with uh, all the interviews is, um, how did you come about doing this piece of research in the first place? What's the history that took you here? Uh, Well, I've always been a little bit of a hippie myself. Um, I actually... You know, I mean, not too many people in business schools work on kind of disposal behaviors. And uh, and I mean, we know so much about how, you know, people consume and their judgments and decisions on, you know, on the purchasing side of things. But we really know little, you know, so little about how they dispose of things. And and so I come from Vancouver, British Columbia is where I, was, I grew up and uh, I spent a year in New Zealand, actually, and just spend a lot of time outside. And I've always been kind of, yeah, like I said, this this kind of hippie outdoors guy. And I really have wanted to do work that was a little bit more meaningful and something that uh, I wanted to do on the side that actually, you know, could maybe help, you know, the planet and have a, a bigger picture, you know, impact on things as opposed to you know, helping companies make more money all the time. So, yeah, so the, this is my focus now. And so in particular, you're looking at this idea that um, recycling behavior or the decision to put th- something in, in the garbage, the trash, the rubbish, uh, is linked to our sense of identity and how we identify with the product or whatever it is that we're, you're, we're talking about. Yeah, so I've got four papers now kind of in the area of disposal decisions. And this last one here is about kind of you know, how products that are linked to our identities are uh, more likely to get recycled than disposed of. And this idea actually came across, you know, I first got this idea when I was like, my son kept bringing home, you know, artwork and, and he's like, he's 10 years old. And I just found myself that, I mean, there's no way I could get rid of these things. And then there was this strong link between, you know, my identity and, and what he was bringing home. And even though some of the, some of his work was fantastic, other you know, drawings were like, okay, let's get rid of this. And I just found it really difficult to, you know, to, 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 to part with that stuff. And so I started thinking about, you know, kind of the psychological kind of underpinnings of what was going on and what was going on in my mind. And then I, I did, I had a visit to Starbucks and I ordered my, you know, my soy latte and they asked for my name and, and so I said, Remy. And of course, you know, when you have a name like Remy, they spell it wrong half the time. And I went, hmm, uh, when I got my cup that had, you know, spelt with a Y instead of an I. And I was like, OK, what's going on here? Could this have an impact? And so so I went to the lab and I started running studies on, you know, like linking things to people's identity and how and then observing how they would how they would actually dispose of things. And so without them knowing, we'd bring them in for 
um, to do like to sample juice and we would write their name on cups, either correctly or incorrectly. And, and then we'd tell them to get rid of their cups on the way out. And then we would, we'd note where they threw them, whether they threw them in the trash or where they threw them in the recycling. And what we found was that people were far more likely to, to recycle, you know, cups that had their name spelled correctly on it. So that just kind of led to more, you know, more studies kind of in different ways of linking, you know, products to people's identities. And, uh, and yeah, we kept finding this, this strong link between products that were linked to our identities and, and recycling. So, sure. Yeah. Let, let's pause there for a second. Cause I certainly identify with what you're talking about. I have similar dilemmas when my daughter brings her home artwork over the last, you know, six years from preschool and now school. And I, I, we have this kind of like massive folder where I can't bear to throw anything away because it's identified with her. And, um, also we, I had this very funny conversation on Facebook where, uh, we, uh, people were discussing, uh, fake names, that they could give to coffee baristas uh, to make them say them out loud. And we were having this conversation, and then I actually came across your paper whilst we were having this conversation over a few days on Facebook, and I thought, okay, so what what does that do then, this kind of dissociation of people giving fake names to baristas because it's for laughs, but what does it do to their behaviour and this what what do they do with that cup afterwards? And then I came across your paper and I thought, oh, it would be great to have you on to, to think about identity and how we uh, project that identity and link that identity to brands or um, things that we buy and, and and how difficult it is for us to get rid of some of those things because of that sense of attachment that we have to it. So maybe you can, and right. we can start off with maybe talking about the basics of this idea of how identity gets projected onto objects. Uh, how, do, how do we, what do we know about that? I mean, there's a large stream of work. I mean, if you think about brands, I mean, everyone has relationships with brands. So I don't know about yourself, but you might have, um, like you might feel really connected to Coke, for instance. And so if you think about Coke and Pepsi uh, drinkers, and this is one of the studies we did in, in the paper, if you think about Coke and Pepsi drinkers, you're either a Coke drinker or a Pepsi drinker. Like yeah, most people, like most serious, like cola drinkers choose one or the other, and then that's it. And they're loyal to that drink. And so you kind of form this attachment to that drink and it becomes a part of your identity. Um, if you look back, you think about the clothes and what you buy, everything that you buy is a reflection of yourself. So if you're, you know, if you're wearing, you know, your Patagonia jacket, you're trying to signal something about yourself to everyone else. And so the things that you buy are really a reflection of you. And, um, and some products are more or less strongly linked to your identity, meaning that you, you know, these things are really, really, you know, part of who you are and you identify them really strong with them really strongly or not. And so, um, yeah. So, so, I mean, that basis is, is kind of where this idea comes from is that we like, we buy products to kind of reflect who we are and not only to signal to ourselves that we're, you know, this person, but also signal to others. And so if you think about like, you know, the brands that you buy or the logos that you wear, you know, that are visible to people, there's certainly, you're doing that for a purpose. 
So one of the things that you were testing in your experiments was this choice that people have. If they have this product, this brand of something that they bought, uh, and then if they strongly identify with that um, by perhaps you know identifying with it physically by having their name put on it, like you say, with this barista or because they've got some kind of family context here, this collective identity, not just an individual identity, then yeah. somehow their choices around recycling and trashing with uh, about that product is influenced by that, right? Right. And so um, if you think about it, so we did some studies with some university students where we just gave them a piece of paper and we gave them a piece of paper of either a logo of the university, so Boston University, or we gave them a logo of another university, or we gave them an American flag on the on the piece of paper, or, you know, we gave them an Eritrean flag in the other conditions. And so what you'd find this, you know, this bigger collective uh, identity, like being part of the university or being part of, you know, being American is, is part of your identity and you feel stronger, or, you know, you might feel more strongly about your university than, than some or less or, but anyways, that strength of identity uh, would determine how you dispose of things. And so, you know, for, for those of us that are like, that identify strongly with that product. So for instance, the university logo, that's like sticking a piece of us in the trash. And that's something that we want to avoid because that's kind of a self threat. That's like, that's something that is, you know, that that's a, that's a below almost to our self-esteem um, because it's like throwing a piece of us in the trash. And so we want to avoid doing that. And so the better option um, is to throw, you know, that identity linked product in the recycling. And that way you kind of, you know, your identity can still, you know, persist on further. And that's what you found in your experiment, right? But you also found this idea that, um, if the um, the university or the identity was somehow talked about negatively, that had an impact upon our choice as to whether we recycled or trashed that piece of paper. How, to, how did it influence our choice? Yeah, right. So we ran, you know, a similar study where we did the same thing, where we gave people a, a piece of paper that had the university logo against BU students and it had the university logo and we got them to read stories. It was either a positive story or a negative story about, you know, former B, um, BU alumni. So in one condition, they read about BU alumni that had been really successful and they had these startups and they made lots of money and they donated money to charity and they were fantastic people. In the other condition, um, we gave, we gave them news stories about, you know, BC grads that, you know, had gone to prison for, you know, sexual assault or, uh, one was like the BU med killer was like this, he was this med student that went around killing prostitutes. And so by changing, um, by, by changing the positive or negative valence of that association, and then we were able to change the behavior. So when it was positive, students, BU students were more likely to recycle than trash the piece of paper with a BU logo in it. But when we gave them that negative association, they wanted to disassociate from from BU. So they were actually way more likely to throw that piece of paper in the trash. Right. So if we extrapolate from that, if there is something that we've identified with quite closely and then there's suddenly bad news about that product or that brand, then that's likely to perhaps influence our behavior and our attachment to that such that we may want to distance ourselves by getting rid of that stuff. Yeah, right. And so, I mean, if you think about it from like a purchasing side, you know, perspective, if you were, for instance, you know, a lifelong Patagonia 
you know, purchaser, um, as I am. And so I, so you're, you're constantly buying Patagonia gear, jackets, whatever, but if all of a sudden you were to find out that Patagonia for all these years was, you know, rather than trying to save the environment was polluting all the waters and was, you know, using child labor and yada, 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 then you probably wouldn't buy that stuff anymore. You'd feel differently about wearing it. Well, so we just kind of took that one step forward. Okay, so how does that influence how we actually dispose of things? Does it actually change whether you're going to throw things in the trash or whether you're going to throw things in the recycling? That That's really interesting. The idea that you spoke about earlier on, about having your name misspelled and somehow that identity correlation you know, there's an interesting question there, right? Is that actually, do you identify with a misspelled name? I get that all the time. My, my name is Saab. My full name is Sarabjit. People just spell it wrong yeah. all the time. And I've kind of, I've wondered about that myself in terms of how do I react to that in a way that I'm not aware of. Um, and you, you've identified some interesting findings, I think. Yeah, so we find that uh, when people are when the names are misspelled, then that link is not as strong. And if that link is not as strong, then you're far more likely to toss the paper out into the into the trash than the recycling. Um, I imagine for someone like yourself, if you're constantly being misspelled, then that effect would might not be as strong. Um, but what we did with the students that came into the lab is we actually came up with a list of of ways to so the students signed up for their experiment before they showed up. And we came up with a list on how to misspell these people's names. And then we randomly assigned them to conditions so that we had like really bad spelling and obvious misspells of these kids' names and, you know, names like, you know, like Sarah that should never be misspelled or, or Jamie or whatever those were being misspelled. And so I think for those people, the effect was even stronger. Um, but I don't have quite the evidence of that. But we did find other stu- in another study um, where we interacted with people's self-esteem. And so your state self-esteem, so if people who are really high in, self- in self-esteem were less likely to be affected by these negative links. And so they were less likely. So if you were high in self-esteem, you were less likely to be uh, affected by, you know, your your name being spelled incorrectly on a cup. And you were probably more likely then to recycle even. It would be interesting to see how that would map onto a couple of other things I thought about. And one of them would be for people who have changed their name. Uh, so for whatever reason, by deed poll, or perhaps if they've got married, you know, some people, right. a lot of people, most people still do choose to change their name after they've got married. Do, do you, are you aware of any um, research that speaks to that around when people have an identity change themselves and how that's reflected in this kind of um, environment? Yeah, I don't know of anything, actually. And that's an interesting point. I mean, I I think that at some point, um, uh, yeah, I, I'm assuming that they would just assume both identities. I think that both you could link to both your former self or or your present self. I mean, if you think about we all have these selves, right? I mean, and again, this research is like we know so much about, you know, why people buy, but very little about why people dispose. But if you think about yourself, I mean, you have several selves yourself, right? You have your professor self, you have your family self, you might have your coach self, you might have your, you know, Sunday night poker self, you might have your, I'm with my buddies watching rugby self. 
each one of these selves is very different and unique. And so you can imagine that they might have, I mean, there might be boundary conditions. They might have different effects as well, right? You seem to know a lot about my life, Remy. <laughs> I just assume you're from New Zealand, so you got to play rugby. You might probably, or you got to watch rugby for sure. I mean, when I was there, I loved the All Blacks. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it. This is really interesting. The idea that we have these um, individual identities that we attach to brands, and like you say, we know a lot about we know a lot about those purchasing behavior, but we're just discovering around disposal disposal behavior. We, you right. also spoke a little bit about that collective identity as well. And you did a couple of experiments looking at national identity in particular. Yeah, we were, Americans are notoriously patriotic. And so what we did is we, um, we in, in studies, we either gave them cups or gave them scenarios with cups or, or pieces of paper with American flags on them versus, say, the Union Jack or your train flag. And, yeah, you'd find that those people, you know, who had the strongest, um, you know, collective identity or national identity were, were most likely to recycle. Right. We also did a study um where what we did, we could only do in the scenario to see, you know, to kind of get more at kind of the, the psychological process that was going on. But we gave we gave different groups scenarios where, you know, they're at a barbecue and they're drinking beer out of these cups and you get given this cup and it's either a white plain cup or it's a cup with an American flag. These are American students uh, or American adults. Actually, they weren't students. But um, and so you get the white cup or the American cup. And we tell them that at that time, they decide that they're going to throw it in the trash versus the recycling. So they're ram randomly assigned to either get a white cup or an American cup, and they're either going to trash it or recycle it. And so we give them the scenario, and this is what you've done. And then we measured their collective self-esteem. And what that is, is the measure of how proud you are to be part of that group. And in this case, it was national identity because it was American. And what we found is that even when we put you in a scenario where you threw that American cup in the trash, that that was a blow to your national self-esteem, your national identity, your collective identity. And so what it was is those people had a lower collective self-esteem. They felt less connected to their countries um, when they ended up tossing it in the garbage. How fragile we are, right? It's very interesting yeah. that we uh, are, have our collective self-esteem um, affected by something as simple as, as this act. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I find it just fascinating. It's like we really want to disassociate with trash so badly. I mean, it's it's it, it's it really is seen as this kind of like like this negative kind of. And, and yeah, I found, I just found that really fascinating. I just, it was to see it affect in, in a scenario type study like that to actually affect people's national um, identity and their collective self-esteem was, was super interesting, I thought. So there might be pros and cons of having things like flags because often, you know, some brands are very highly identified with particular nations. So I think you give the example of Budweiser and how they do some of their marketing uh, in, in your paper. Um, there may yeah. be some pros and cons in doing that then. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And we we actually ran a study on on self brand connection. So how strongly connected you are to brands, and and we chose to use cola, and so we used Pepsi and Coke. And what we did is we measured people's strength of connection with Coke. And so you're either really strongly connected with Coke or not. And what we found is that people who are really strongly connected to Coke were far more likely to recycle a Coke can than a Pepsi can. But those who were who were not strongly connected to Coke, so at the low end of the scale, they were far more likely to recycle a Pepsi can than a Coke can. And so those people who were at the low end, so basically want to dissociate from Coke, would rather throw it in the trash than uh, recycle a, a Pepsi can. Hmm. There was one example which caught my eye in the paper, and I, I thoroughly recommend the paper. It's seven studies. It's a little bit technical with the statistics, but I think you write up the, the findings in each section really well, so it's well worth a read. But there was, there was some um, people who uh, took, took the product away with them and they were kind of eliminated from the analyses, I noticed. But I found that interesting. They actually didn't recycle it or trash it, but they took it away with them. And you thought, well, maybe they didn't see the, see the, the, the cans or the trash cans or the recycling can. But I was wondering if you had any further thoughts about actually just holding on to it. Yeah, I think that – so, I mean – we were we were interested in how people got rid of the paper, right, or, or people's disposal behavior, and so we we eliminated people who didn't didn't dispose of things, so they weren't ready to get rid of stuff. But you know, if you think about it, they were either, I mean, those are people who are probably even more attached to the thing that they couldn't even dispose of it in the recycling, or they wanted to reuse it or keep it. And again, I would assume that those people who actually left with the paper would would be this you know kind of super strong identifiers i guess and and wanted to keep it or use it or you know i could see them using those little piece of paper with a you know with an american flag on it as a bookmark or something they found another use for it and i think that uh, you know in hindsight without knowing what they actually did with it i mean they could have tossed it out you know at the aq like 400 meters down the street but um um but yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, those people are, they're an interesting group as well. I mean, I guess from my point of view for, as a clinician as well, I know that uh, when I was working as a clinician uh, more intensively one-on-one, -on -one, what, what I remember seeing was this increase in hoarding behavior, this increase of actually not disposing of things. And I wonder if there's something around identification with these objects that people buy, uh, which means that actually they're much less likely either to trash it or recycle it, but they'll just keep on and, and they perhaps don't even reuse it, but it's somehow a catalog or a part of themselves that they can't get rid of. Oh yeah, I can, I can imagine. I mean, back to the start of this whole conversation where we we're talking about our child's artwork, right? You know, you have your daughter, my son, I have another daughter. I mean, we have so much stuff from them that we just can't get rid of and i think it's because of that that attachment right and that's that strength of attachment and so yeah you're right i mean perhaps like hoarders are like so attached to yeah i, I mean to everything maybe they, they maybe they do make these super strong bonds with everything that they have i mean even if it is a a newspaper from you know the 1980s 
um, it, it, maybe they're keeping it for that reason. There is an attachment to something in that in that newspaper. But yeah, you're right. I, in, intuitively, that makes absolute sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is why it's so distressing for people who are going through this, and it's so poorly understood by others for for them to actually go through and get rid of this stuff, or they have teams coming in and helping them do that, and it's actually incredibly distressing for them. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can imagine it is for sure. So let's just summarize where we are with your paper. I mean, I guess from what, what I've read and what we've talked about, it's clear that there's an identity, an identity linked product is less likely to be trashed, more likely to be recycled. Um, recycling behavior is linked to the the strength and positivity that you have towards um, a brand or a product. And that disposal behavior is explained, we think, from your paper by identity threat. So you're much more likely, um, actually putting putting something in the trash is symbolically the same as putting a bit of yourself in the rubbish or the trash as well, right? Which is what, what explains right. that. Yeah. So, right. so what, what's the point of this for you, Remy? Um, why should we care about this, this research, this uh, series of papers that you've done? Well, I think, again, I think, I think if we can understand behavior, like if we can really understand what's driving and motivating people to do something, then I think we can we can develop interventions and, and nudges to help people make better decisions, right? I mean, we can do that with everything from insurance to financial, you know, products to you know to I, and I think like to saving the environment or to recycling or energy conservation, all these types of things. And so, I'm trying to build a model or a theory of disposal behavior that that no one has looked at yet and so this is a piece of it and i think that again if you think of identity and it's it's a value link and everything that i've done seems to be uncovering this value and that we need to have some kind of value with the product there has to be some inherent value of the product to make us want to recycle it as opposed to trash it and so i think that you know, moving forward, I think that what this does is it kind of allows us to kind of build on a basis to kind of start to understand what really drives people's behavior and to develop interventions. I'm I'm not a big, I'm not a big, being a marketer, I shouldn't say this, but I'm not a big believer in like the effectiveness of, of marketing communications, of ad, you know, of ad campaigns and, and driving behavior. I'm more I think like if you can understand the behavior and design, say, products that um, that complement the behavior, then I think you'll have a much better likelihood of being able to influence behavior. I think if you can design products that automatically people are more likely to dispose of as opposed to trying to educate them with with marketing communications, I think you're far better off and much more. Um, interested in, in nudging and developing interventions through product design and innovation that lead to better behaviors as opposed to relying on, you know, communications to, you know, to teach and to, to educate people. So have you, have, have you had any thoughts about product design or interventions that would encourage people to, to recycle? Um, in, in just off, you know, any thoughts that you've had as a result of doing this work or anything that you're testing at the moment? Yeah, so we've had so the paper we had we had a paper in 2013 that basically what they found uh what we found was that as soon as people distort products like so for instance if you take a piece of paper and you rip it up into four with well, that piece of paper 
is far less likely now to get recycled. And so even though it's the same volume, it's still paper, it's still recyclable. If you tear it up, all of a sudden now it's more like trash. So the likelihood of that being trashed is like, I mean, it's, it's you have a, I think a 200% more like, you're 200% more likely to recycle a full sheet of paper than one that's been torn up into like, you know, eight pieces. Hmm. And so what we've done with that, if we've actually approached um, some packaging manufacturers and we're doing, you know, field studies with them where what they're doing is they're designing packages that are easier to open. So when you open a package, you can open it nice and evenly and then it gets less distorted and less, you know, kind of destroyed as as it gets opened. And then you're far more likely um, to recycle it. And so, so far with the studies we've had, that's, that seems to be working fantastically. And so if you think about, you know, that, that, that's kind of one design aspect. I'm also looking at stuff. Um, I'm interested in littering and how smokers are, 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 are tossing cigarette butts away. And so, um, a colleague of mine has run some studies. His name is Weston Baxter. And I think this is a good example as well, where what he's done is he's you know changed the design of cigarettes where he's added a little bit of a foil on the outside of part of the part of the filter and so if you smoke that little piece of foil stays there it doesn't affect you know the the act of smoking itself or the enjoyment of smoking itself but what it's done is it's changed people's perception of of that cigarette butt and what he's finding by doing that is that people I think he's he's run studies and it's like people 50 percent of the time with regular cigarettes will just throw the butt on the ground and stomp it out. But with, you know, with with this little piece of foil added that, you know, 95 percent of the time now they they throw it in the ashtray. And so I think just those types of things are some examples of kind of, kind of, you know, if you understand the behavior, how you can, you know, alter the design of a product to, to, to kind of influence better behavior. Yeah. So those sort of product design nudges so that they, we see more of the behavior that we think is going to contribute to collective well-being, right. And, and also cost to society. Right. Right. And if it's like, I mean, if there's a business case, like if it doesn't cost the business anymore to do so, um, then then why not do it right then 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 it makes sense right if there's a business case for doing it as well as an environmental case for doing it then you'll be able to get companies to do it and then everybody wins right That's it for this show. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with myself and Remy this week. We'll be back again in two weeks' time. Don't forget you can find us on Twitter at WCWTP or myself, Saab Johal, your host and producer of the show, at Saab, S-A-R-B. You can also find us on Facebook. That's right, Facebook. And whocareswhatsthepoint.com. And you can email us at contact at whocareswhatsthepoint.com as well. Thanks again for listening. We are on a fortnightly schedule for now. So if you are new, welcome. And if you've been listening regularly, welcome back. Please continue to listen to the show and send us feedback. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We really appreciate you listening to the show. Thanks very much. And don't forget. Thank you.